Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Previously on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. You are covering, arguably, the MVP in the league and his team. Did you get a vote in that this year? So <laughs> I, uh, I, I didn't vote in that this year because – so this is my philosophy on that. So after kind of – not to get too far into the weeds, but after what uh, kind of happened with, with, with uh, Paul George and the way that, like, Supermax money is constructed nowadays, uh, it's my personal belief that I, I – I just don't feel like I should have that sort of – I'm not comfortable wielding that sort of power over what – uh, money guys make because how can I say oh yeah I didn't vote for you for NBA first team but like you should answer my questions anyways even though maybe you didn't get the amount of money that you uh, thought you deserved because of a way I voted I don't feel like that uh, upholds what how I feel uh, like a, a journalist should be Buckets, Boards and Blocks is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media Buckets, Boards and Blocks is hosted by a former Georgetown Hoyer who likes nothing better than a well-executed fade screen and thinks DC ballers are the smartest. A lover of threes in transition, Monica McNutt. Buckets, Boards and Blocks is back. Thanks for rolling with me, folks. I've been having a blast. This week, I got one of my long lost brothers that my parents didn't tell me that I had. That's a joke, but it's kind of how our relationship is defined as a sibling thing. My guy who's going to be a co-host with me on 150. What is it, Cam? MSG 150? MSG 150. I feel like you just dated a super, super old about then. 150. <laughs> that did come out really old, didn't it? Anyway, Cam <laughs> is my first guest this week. Um, he's out of the Chicago area. We work together on the Overtime by MSG project. Um, that's where our sibling relationship was reunited. And so today, Cam, you want you want to give the people a little bit about MSG 150. You you want to tell them? Yeah, definitely, definitely. But first, let me let everybody know that Monica and I are like long lost brothers and sisters. <laughs> so we we really just connected on just like some genuine vibes. She's a great person, and I'm very appreciative to be on the podcast. So I finally got my call, so I think I'm worthy enough. I think officially I'm my brother now, so she brought me on the podcast. That was like the official ribbon cousin for me, man. So no, <laughs> no but, but MSG 150 is something that's a new, innovative look in the sports. And I know, how many times do you hear that? Yeah, it's going to be something new. It's going to be a different look at sports. But no, this literally will be a different view in terms of who we're going to have on the show. Of course, me and Monica will be on there doing our thing, but we got the long veteran Bill Pito, who's going to be hosting the show along with Alan Hahn from MSG Network. Networks. We have the great John Wallace that played his basketball at Syracuse in the Big East, so he's going to be a contributor as well as long as as, as well as uh, Julianne Viani. So it, it's, it's so many people that are going to be rotating in and out. Swin Cash, who's going to be a part of it, and also Wally Zerbiak. If you don't know those names, you need to stop watching basketball, playing basketball, or think you know anything about basketball. Um, but it'll be a weekly show, uh, nightly show, Monday through Thursday. 
from airing about uh, 8 p.m. to about 10.30. It's just going to be our look into sports across the New York City area and across the world and just tapping into a lot of different things that me and Monica are going to touch on in this podcast with the NBA playoffs and the upcoming NBA draft. So I'm super excited about what we have brewing over at MSG One City. I'm just going to say One City. Oh, you, you think you're so cool. You think you know, you're I, so cool. Anyway. It's, it's the Chicago in me. It's the Chicago in me. If you say so. That was a fantastic <laughs> breakdown. We definitely hope you guys will join us for the show. It should be tons of fun. All right, so Cam, let's get into it. We got the playoffs. A couple things happened that I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Y'all got to pump your brakes. First, we had Paul Pierce say that the series between the Bucks and the Celtics was over following game one. Then, although I might agree with Shaq on this one, he said that the Houston Golden State series is pretty much over. Houston does look like they might be licking their wounds a little bit. What are your thoughts on those two highly touted series? Well, first, both Paul Pierce and Shaq were wrong. And oh, well, I'm surprised that they made those comments and that the series is over, especially Paul Pierce. Like, you've been around the league for X amount of years, nearly 20 years. You won an NBA championship. And he's been on the other side of things where either they dropped game one at home or on the road. And if he were to give his own advice to himself and to say, well, yeah, the series is over, the player Paul Pierce will say, well, you, you, you must be so, smoking something crazy. Because that, there's no way that the Bucks. Uh, Celtics series is going to be over after one game. And I was, again, same thing with Shaq. It's only two games. These are seven-game series. We have some of the best teams in each of the conferences. You have Golden State at one. You have Houston that's right behind them, um, actually on the, on the three spot. But at the same time with Milwaukee and Boston, Milwaukee's the best team in the NBA, just record-wise. Record-wise, we're talking records. And to just say the series is over for them after they drop game one, well, Paul Pierce was wrong because we saw what happened in game two between Milwaukee and Boston. How does Milwaukee return back to who they really are and dominate the Boston? And it's going to be the same thing, I think, in Houston, that Houston will be able to go back home. They'll be able to get at least one game, possibly two. And we saw what happened with that series last year. It went seven games without Chris Paul. So you add Chris Paul, CB3, in the mix, I feel that it's going to go at least six. So I'm not sure on what they were going through or what they were thinking, but nah, no way that either one of these series is over. But it's it's going to be great basketball. That's what I'm looking forward to seeing, especially with Golden State and Houston. We already got the drama with the officials and the landing zone and the flopping and the flailing and all of that. Um, if you ask Jeremiah Green, he's tired of just hearing those conversations. But game two was more about just legit basketball. We got great performances from James Harden, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry with a dislocated finger. He's playing with nine fingers basically and still just being Steph and doing what he does. So I love what they're they're uh they're creating with, with Houston and Golden State. Flip side to that on the other coast, Boston, Milwaukee. I wanna see this is a this is a big test for Giannis. I really wanna see if he can get over the Boston hump. If he can get over the Boston hump then Milwaukee will be even more dangerous heading into the Eastern Conference finals and you gotta believe that Toronto is gonna be there uh waiting for them in the East. Are you ready to call that series? Can you call that no. series, or is it still a big no? No, I, no it's, it's a big, it's a big no. I, I can't, I can't call the series until probably get, give me game three. After game three, then I'll be able to call it. That's, Dude, that's, that's that is you're cheating. You what's what you? That's cheating. You're supposed to call the series no, from the beginning well, and then stand well, I mean, by I, it. I can do that. I can do that. But I'm not going to say after one game that the series is over. Now going into each of the series, I had Golden State coming out against Houston, and I had Boston coming out against Milwaukee. But I'm not just going to say that, oh, yeah, Milwaukee, Boston won game one, so this series is over. There's no way that Boston's going to sweep Milwaukee out of the gym like that. I, I just can't believe it. Giannis is too good. They have a couple of key uh, players that obviously stepped up in game two. So when you have that on your side, then you're not just going to run through a Milwaukee team. Again, that has the best record in the NBA. It's not by fluke. They're legit. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you 100% on that one. I did have Milwaukee coming out of that series. I'm a little bit shaky and on whether or not I believe that going forward. But I'm going to stick so you, by so you, my original. You flip-flopping? You, you flip-flopping I didn't flip. Did you, you hear what I said? I said I'm sticking with my original. All right, we got four minutes to go, Cam. Really quickly, I mean, those are the series that I think lots of folks are talking about. But I've got Crystal Rich, who is the 76ers outsider from NBC Sports Philly, coming on a little bit later. Toronto Sixers, who you like? Oh, I, I like Toronto. I, I really do. I mean, they've had the best bench in the NBA for, what, three, maybe four years running now? And then you add in Kawhi, who just has been dominant in the playoffs. I just need Kyle Lowry to remember who he is and be able to provide some production so that he can kind of spill Kawhi so Kawhi doesn't have the full responsibility of carrying the Raptors to the Eastern Conference Finals. But I think they did an outstanding job of picking up Mark Gasol, and he's going to prove to be one of the one of the pickups that's going to probably put them over the hump when it comes to uh, maybe getting to the NBA Finals. Um, I'm not sure on who comes out of uh, that Eastern Conference Finals, whether it's Boston or whether it's Toronto, maybe even Milwaukee, they pull it out, but I can't see Milwaukee doing it. So Boston, Toronto will be an interesting Eastern Conference Finals. But I really love what Nick Nurse is doing in his first year as a head coach. You know, he's been a long-time assistant uh, throughout the NBA, especially for with the Raptors, and now he's been able to really just – not have the Raptors miss the beat and really elevate themselves to what the NBA believes in them. And, and they are, the NBA's belief is just Toronto is real, and a lot of that has to do with Kawhi Leonard. So I, I like Toronto coming out of that series against Philly. Philly is just is, – uh, I'm not trusting the process right now. I mean, Jimmy Butler, Jimmy, Jimmy Butler is – you know, he had an outstanding game too. But the health of Joel Embiid is what worries me about the Sixers team. And that's just going to be the knock on them until Embiid, you know, either gets traded or he retires from the game is that – if he's healthy, Philly is dangerous. But when he's not healthy, he just really hurts them. He doesn't need to be out on the floor. Hmm. Injuries are a tough situation. All right, I'm putting you on a 30-second response clock on this one. I, although I know where your heart is already. You could just go ahead and tell the people. Portland and Denver, Joker versus Dame. Give me Dame, Dollar, and twice on Sundays. I am not going away and straying away from what Damian Lillard is in the league, what he's been proven uh, throughout his career so far, but also what he did against OKC. Like, the, he leveled up to a point that we haven't seen in a while of a guy just kind of taking that next big step in the NBA. So what he does in terms of the point guard position, how he leads Portland within their own offense, this isn't Dame going hero ball or iso ball or crazy things. He's getting his buckets and is making his production within the offense that Terry Stotts has. So I like Portland coming out of that series against Denver. Denver's young, but they're just not quite there yet. So maybe it seems that's like It seems like this is the year for Portland. I agree with you on those. All right, we're inside of your last 45 seconds. Usually I end the show with a three-parter. I need your bucket, board, and block. But today, in keeping in mind time, I just need you to give me your favorite bucket getter that's still alive in the playoffs, period. Kevin Durant. The seven-footer, seven-one, seven-two, whatever you want to list them as, don't list them as anything under seven feet, but that's my favorite bucket getter in the league. Like, dude, you can't guard him. He's unguardable. You put a big on him, he's going to go to the bucket, or he's probably going to shoot over the top of him because he's at least seven feet. You put a smaller guard on him or a smaller player, he's just going to take him to the post, a la Pat Beverly or Lou Williams. You saw what he did to them in the first round last week against the Clippers and just baptized him, especially in that game clincher where he dropped a 50-piece on him. So it's just one of those things where 
he has unlimited just ability and versatility on the court to the only way that you can stop Kevin Durant if you is unless he decides to take a night off or if you allow him to. Like when Kevin Durant wants to score, he's going to score any way, any time, any space on the floor. That is fantastic. You are right on time, my friend. And did you just hey. say baptized as a verb? <laughs> <laughs> did you, did you baptized? I, I can appreciate the way that was used well cam thanks for coming on obviously the show kicks off msg 150 kicks off next week so follow cam on twitter on instagram of course follow along with me we'll be posting tweeting the whole cast we're looking forward to it you know we just love hoops just as much as y'all do so cam safe yes, travels do. my guy and i'll see you next week i appreciate you sir. see you next week Buckets, Boards, and Blocks with me, Monica McNutt, is one of four weekly shows from Pure Hoops Media. I'm here with a fresh show every Thursday, and I'll introduce you to some fresh new voices from the world of hoops and, of course, share my own opinions on all things round ball. My pops will also be here to share his wisdom. He's so wise. Each Monday, the ultimate wise guy, Mike Wise, is here with the Mike Wise Show. His guest, this coming Monday is Miami Heat guard Goran Dragic, who stops by before heading back to Slovenia for the summer. Wednesday, we have Catch and Shoot with Adam Stanko and Noah Kozlov. Their most recent show featured Hall of Famer Alex English, the great Denver Nugget. Finally, each Friday, thank God it's Friday, with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman, they're here dropping the Pure Hoops podcast. BJ is a straight-up Bulls OG and a current player agent who will dazzle you with some of his theories about the game and the business. Please check out all of our shows, download, rate, review, and most of all, enjoy. As Buckets, Boards, and Blocks rolls on, I'm super excited about my next guest. She is one of the Sixers outsiders up at NBC Sports Philadelphia. She's been with the Sixers all year, made a bunch of stops, been grinding it out in this business, and is also one of my NABJ sister girlfriends that is working it out. Crystal Rich, welcome to the program, girl. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. A shout out to NABJ. So thankful to be here and to be talking some ball. Let's do it. All right, so let's jump right into this playoff platter of hoops. Game one, girl, they was coming for your team. They was coming hard. But you've been with them all year. You've seen them bounce back, respond, whatever the case may be. What was your initial reaction to game one? Before I start with my initial reaction, I'm going to tell you what the fans thought and what they were saying. It's always fire Brett Brown. Everyone was PO'd. But I'm the one who always tries to boost out the fans and let them know, put the tape back in, press rewind, Go back to game one versus the Brooklyn Nets where the Sixers looked terrible. It didn't even look like the same team with Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid and J.J. Redick. It looked like a, a peewee squad. However, after that terrible game, Brett Brown made the necessary adjustments and they won four straight to take the series. So I tell fans all the time, they have the right to be P.O.'d at a terrible loss. But don't get scared because if Brett Brown makes these adjustments, if some of these players step up and do their part, which he did, then they still have a chance in this series. Now, Monica, if they would have lost game two, they would have lost the entire series. That's what I'm betting my money on because it's hard to come back from 0-2. I think that's super smart and super astute. Now, you were the wise sensei, the voice of reason. (laughs) But even in that comparison – the Nets 
are not the Raptors. And so you're right. They were able to respond and bounce back in game two. Moving forward from where you're sitting, what's the key to this series? Man, I can give you about 50 keys. And I always started from the top with coaching adjustments. I think that's the biggest one. The biggest thing that we saw from game one, from game from game one to game two is what Brett Brown did defensively because Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, they still suffer terribly offensively. They did not have good games at all. But defensively, because Brett Brown made certain adjustments, like instead of having Jimmy Butler and Ben Simmons both guard um, Kawhi, to have them stick to their one assignment. Ben stuck Kawhi for the entire game, and he did a really good job doing yeah, it. In did. just the first quarter, he limited him to about four points. And then what Brett Brown did is he put Siak- – and he had Embiid on Siakam. Before, they had Tobias Harris on Siakam. Toby, he's cool, but he's not an elite defender. And when you have someone as athletic as Siakam and can score from – behind the arc, in the paint, mid-range, get to the hoop, that's not a good look. So just like Brett Brown did earlier in the season when we played the Bucks and made the adjustment to put Embiid on Giannis, he did the same exact thing, and it was um, – he had 20-plus points, but it took him 25 field goal attempts to get those points. So he really made him work for that. But as always, you know, Jimmy Butler, he came through clutch when his team was down. But, Monica, one of my biggest keys, though, is going to be Ben Simmons. He is our point guard, and it really does hurt us that he does not take any jumpers, especially against fast teams in transition, like the Toronto Raptors. When you take away transition for Ben Simmons and you keep him in the half court, he does not always show up in the half court. A lot of times you might see him just driving in and passing the ball out. He's a great passer, but sometimes – you get tired of that and want to see him do something offensively in the half court where he's going for it. And that's one more adjustment that I want to see Brett Brown make in game three because this whole series is going to be a series of adjustments. Nick Nurse is going to look at the tape, and he's going to look how to adjust the Raptors to what the Sixers just did. So Brett Brown has to have more things up his sleeve. And one of those things in game three that I want to see is him drawing things up in the half court for Ben Simmons, I think that's going to be key for game three because I really think they are going to harp on how to limit him even more. See, it's crazy to me that we've gotten to a place, and not that transition basketball isn't beautiful because I, for one, am absolutely a fan of a free-flowing basketball game, particularly pulling up for a three in transition because you're just really feeling it that night. But the idea that it would be so laborious to play in a half-court set to me is so wild. Like, I just, when I look at... The NBA game, I get it. We've got guys like James Harden, KD, guys who will literally lull people to sleep and get up and score on their own. But when you look at a team like the 76ers, I just wonder why we don't see more creative half-court sets that create some of that movement. Like, to me, if you pull Ben Simmons three, four steps out from the three-point line, you you overload your action on the other side, you bring one ball screen, then you're forcing the defense to play him honestly, and you put your shooters on the opposite side. To me, that would give him 70% maybe of the steam that he would have coming from half court in a full court, in a, in a transition type of setting. So I, I agree with you in terms of adjustments, but he's got shooters on that floor that I think would be able to create open lanes, no? Yeah, he does. And, and Monica, the crazy thing is, in game two against the Nets, 
he created for Ben Simmons in the half court. So, and that was the first time that we saw that in the entire season. It was like we had to wait until the postseason because maybe he just didn't want teams having things on tape. So we, we're going into game three expecting these type of things, and I really do think that he will draw something up for Ben Simmons in that half court. And we do have shooters on the team, but sometimes there's a little bit of a problem because J.J. Redick it's, and Tobias Harris, sometimes these guys are hot or cold, and it's mm. like there's no in-between. So when J.J.'s on the court and he's cold, he's adding nothing defensively. When Ben And when you take away transition from Ben Simmons and put him in the half court and force him to draw up plays, sometimes he gets a little bit timid because he doesn't want to take the jumper. And then we pull and beat out to the perimeter and, and just for the spacing to hopefully allow uh, Ben Simmons to be able to get to the basket. When Tobias Harris is not hitting his 43% from beyond the arc, then it creates more of a problem where, yeah, we could create more things in the half court, but it really depends on the games that these guys are having. And that's why another key to this game is Jimmy Butler. It really is because he came up as the savior in this game, with his, in the last game too, with his 30 points. Yeah. Because defensively, the team did a, did a good job, but offensively, 12 points from Joel Embiid, who anything under 30 seems like um, – a failed effort from the fans' perspective, and only half of that from your point guard, six points from Ben Simmons, isn't going to cut it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you're spot on. You're absolutely spot on. But I guess here's the thing, Crystal, that I want from your perspective being in close proximity to the team. There was this notion, I guess it's about two weeks ago now, that it's kind of win or bust for the Sixers, like Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, those guys may not be there for the long haul. They've compiled this group of talent to make it happen this year, which is kind of crazy to me after you guys have shown great growth in this idea of trusting the process. Is that pressure in the building? Do the players know that that's pressure or how is that being handled? One million percent it's pressure because number one, it's Philly, right? And Philly fans are passionate. And that's, that's an understatement to say that they're passionate. Now, Elton Brand and both head coach Brett Brown have said that the Eastern Conference Finals are the goal. That is the goal. Get there, win that, that's the goal. Now, Brett Brown, he's been under so much fire. He, he gets the worst of it. And sometimes I look at him and say there are things that he could do better, and sometimes it's the player's fault. It really is. He can't make a player hit a shot. He, you know, he's dealing with Ben Simmons not feeling comfortable enough to shoot jumpers. So if the, the Sixers come short of their goal, what the feeling around the center, the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia, is that Brett Brown will not have a job. And then that rolls down to Jimmy Butler, mm. right? Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, both guys who Elton Brand said that he would like to resign, resign next year. Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, both guys I would love to have back. If either one was a max player, I would say Jimmy Butler, even though they have enough for two. Uh, Tobias Harris, he's been, before the playoffs, he was slumping just a little bit. Now, Tobias Harris, what he said is it comes down to loyalty and a winning culture because he's been on so many teams, and he's only 26 years old. He's been hopping around so much. So from coming from a team like the Clippers, we're just, 
making the playoffs was a big deal over to the Sixers where their standards are so much higher this year, which is we're trying to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. I think that winning culture is something that will allow hints to come back. But they also cannot have a um, – they can't have a sweep in the Eastern uh, Conference Finals, and they have to offer Jimmy Butler the max because if they don't, someone else in the league will look at Jimmy Butler, even at 29 years old, and say he's a max player and sign him and he will go where the money is so there is a lot of tension in the city especially from after last year and us getting beat uh in the semis to boston if it happens again in the semis to toronto number one brett brown is in trouble and then we really don't know what jimmy butler and tobias harris are going to do elton brand said our opportunity is now so if we don't execute now there's a chance all three of those guys could not be back. Girl, pressure make diamonds and pressure bust pipes. <laughs> Which one is it going to be? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Okay, so, gosh, I mean, that's the X's and O's side of it. When or else, right? But at least via social media, it really genuinely seems like all of the issues or the questions surrounding Jimmy leaving Minnesota his ability to be a quality teammate, to lead, be a leader of, of young men and Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. It seems like Jimmy is really enjoying himself. I know he did the dope Easter egg hunt for the 76ers staff. Um, mm-hmm. and, and on the court, like, they seem like they have really tremendous energy together. I mean, is that something that has grown over the course of this year? Or was that whole thing about Butler's ability to be a quality teammate overblown from the jump? You know, I hated that storyline from him coming from um, the Bulls and then from the Timberwolves here that he was like this locker room cancer. I really didn't like that. When I went to his introductory presser, I got a whole different vibe from him where he was like a good teammate. He was grateful to be here. And since he's gotten here, I haven't seen anything else. We've, Brett Brown has given him a lot of different opportunities, even to run points every now and then, every now and then, especially closing out games, something that I love that he does. You mentioned the Easter egg hunt. I think Jimmy Butler is actually happy and and enjoying himself. Um, There's a lot that goes into it, though. I think just because he's happy, I don't think that he wouldn't uh, go somewhere else if we did not offer him the max contract. Mm. And looking at this game, too, where Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons both struggled, and he was the one to come up with a 30-point game. He was the one to take 22 attempts, even though he's not a volume shooter. That just shows you he has a passion to win. So if they don't offer him the max, max, max contract, not only will he be more apt to leave, I think fans will be furious with the Sixers front office yet again. But outside of that, I do think that he's happy here in Philadelphia. When he was with Tibbs, over with the Timberwolves, man, they would run him through the wall having him play about 40 minutes per game. They they did too much. He's he's 29 years old, which is older in the NFL, in the sports world. So coming from a culture like that and you're playing with Carl Anthony Towns and Wiggins and you're not really liking the effort that they're putting forth, I think that he loves it here, especially that – the, the culture fits what he wants to do, which is win. Yeah. 
I can see that. I, I mean, what, girl, winning covers a multitude of sins for sure. You All right, so we're, girl, you, listen, we already know. So we're sort of winding down for your time here on Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. I got to get you with the broad question in terms of advice to aspiring sports journalists, young women in the business, particularly black women in the business. Crystal, like what have in the past, girl, because we've been at it, right? The past, which have been at two, three different places in the past five years. Man, man, it's the list goes on. I can't even count anymore. NFL it's a good Network, thing, though. Yeah. Right. Time Warner, Maryland, L.A., Sacramento, Philly, Connecticut. It's been a lot. So what would you say to Crystal, who was, what was the first place you named NFL Network? What would you say to Crystal landing her first job that you know now? Have a vision, number one. Have a vision and don't let anyone take you away from that vision. Write your vision down. After you write it down, put it somewhere that you're going to see it every day and start formulating the steps to get there. When I first started my career, I was a producer at the NFL Network, a producer and, the, and an editor, and my dream was to be on air, right? So how do you go from producing to getting on air? I'd done that stuff in college, but in the real world, it seems a lot tougher. So I would make a list of things I had to do, whether that was, you know, make a reel, go in and see if I can get a stand up here and then just apply for the next job and, and get these little things together and keep applying, keep going to NABJ, keep networking, do everything that you can. Watch sports as much as you can. Watch Sports Center once a day. Make sure you know what's current in 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 all of sports. And then the thing is, it's you know what you want your end goal to be. But you have to set goals in between that knowing that this journey is always going to be long it's never Girl. supposed to be easy it's never supposed to be easy so I have to remind myself of that all the time that it's a process and just like the 76ers trust the process make your list have your vision don't get sidetracked yeah am I preaching yeah. I, I think late no, girl, I, listen, I'm with you. I, you got all the amens over here because I feel you. And I think lately, or at least for me, the past couple of years, it has been about steps forward as opposed to what you may visibly look at as a step up. Like as long as you keep there stepping you forward, eventually it becomes a slope and then you'll work your way up. So we're down to the four minute mark. I would give it a horn and do like a, a four minute mark timeout, <laughs> media timeout. I don't have all that. All right, so I need your bucket, board, and block from rolling with the 76ers this season. Your bucket is your A++ thing. This was fantastic. Your board is something that, eh, innately, when you first look at it, it may not have been something to be excited about, but there was some silver lining to it. And then your block is your get out of here, that was trash thing. All right, so my bucket is going to have to be Jimmy Buckets. I mean, hello, Jimmy Butler, when he came in game two, we sometimes – Fans don't know which Jimmy Butler they're going to get, someone who's a little passive, someone who's a little bit too unselfish and passes the ball too much. But when he saw our other stars, Joel Embiid and, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons struggling, he stepped up tremendously. He had a full game and was the closer. Here comes the board. Because when the board first came on, I was so skeptical. Brett Brown and the 76ers signed Greg Monroe, who this year played for the Raptors. Ooh. He played for the Celtics. He is a center. We had Boban Marjanovic, who is not for every single matchup because he's too big. His feet do not move as quickly. 
However, Greg Monroe never saw him as a great rim protector, right? He does some things offensively, but it just does not seem like he can protect the rim. Obviously, no one can really protect it like Joel Embiid. However, in this series, when it counts in the playoffs in the semis against Toronto, he came in and in just 11 minutes had 10 points, did some things, had a great rebound, played much better defensively against a team that he is familiar with. So that is my board right there, a little silver lining. And my I like block, that. That's a good one. you know what I'm saying? My block, honestly, would have to be Ben Simmons offensively. Offensively. Mm. Defensively, mm. doing a great, a great job. But I don't really put it, like I've already discussed with with you before I don't put it too much on Ben Simmons because I already know if you take transition opportunities away from him he's not going to be a one I already know that however I want to see Brett Brown draw up more things for Ben Simmons in that half court for him to score he could do it for other people to score but I want to see our point guard put up more than six points so Anything where he's coming up under 15 points, I'm blocking. I want nothing. All right. Block. You see, she's she's swatting it. Get that out of here. Get that out of here. (laughs) All right, Crystal. Well, thank you so much. I love those. Series-specific, game-two-specific. Jimmy Buckets is definitely a bucket. Complete agreement. Greg Monroe, shout out to the Hoyas, coming up big and big time moments as our board. And then, okay, you got high standards for your point guard. If you're not being productive offensively, it's a block. Get it out of here. Won't have time for that. But Crystal, thank you for your time, sis. Enjoy the rest of the playoffs. Cool. Thank you for having me, guys. Hey, McNutt, tell your pops to grab his whistle. It's time for the official review. Oh, look at that, Dad. You got your own new sound. It's that time of the podcast. Hey, Dad, welcome. Yeah, I'm, I'm part of the big time now, huh? Yeah, you got your whole, like, walk, you got your walk-up music, your warm-up song, or your... It's, what is it in basketball? It's not warm-up song. Forget it. Moving on. Um, so, <laughs> speaking of official reviews, Dad, what is the landing zone? Landing zone? Oh, oh yeah, you mean as <laughs> what James Harden is doing? No, I meant, like, airplanes. Come on, Dad. Keep up. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, the way that, the way they're doing it, it seems to fluctuate. Ideally, it's the same. It's the same technique when I taught you working on your jump shot. Ideally, you want to go up and come down and land in the same footprints that you took off with. It's that easy to to define. Now, what's going on here? And, and really, I feel for my brethren in this in this, in, especially in this Houston uh, Golden State series. Is that Harden? You know he's 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 crafty. He's he's slick as they come, and he you know he jumps forward. He jumps to the side. You know, so um, even on the on the closeout, when they're even trying to block the shot, they're just trying to contest the shot, make it give them a difficult look. Uh, they're, they're making contact, and they had a great no call on the last shot that he took in the first in game one, where you and matter of fact, they showed it. Uh, his feet to where he left off, and you know it was almost two, two and a half feet forward when he landed, and that's why the validation was that it was a, a a good no call on Draymond Green. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about in, in game I one, do. in game one, yeah, uh, because they showed that he took off 
and he was not going to land in the same footprints where he, where where he uh, where he took off, uh, and he was going to land two feet forward. So that's not that's not that's not that's not a foul. Um, then you get into this thing, and they're so good at it. But uh, you know they can go out and they can throw their legs out. So you can come across, hit, hit his legs, they flop, and some some referee give him a call. Although that technically they have said, at least at the college level, that's an offensive foul. You kick out your legs. That's just like using an elbow to ward off. So there's a lot going on here. And then to add on to that, you had all the um, – and, boy, for, I guess I don't know if it bothers you as much as it bothers me as a referee, the uh, the uh, you know, approaching to the referee with arms flailing and just going up to the referee after every call. And I'm talking – and we showed a replay, there's contact there, which I don't understand why you are complaining when you make contact. Um, and then with calls that weren't made, it was on both squads, and it just it was just it just totally to me that detracts from the quality of the game and makes it a hard watch. And to Draymond's credit, he said this morning. So, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah. No. And so Draymond said this morning is that you know we had a good game. Uh, Kerr said it too that it was the referees were non-existent, which is what you want, which is what we try to be, you know, let the, let the players play the game and let the game evolve. Uh, all we want is nobody get hurt and both teams have a fair chance to win. And um, so, and, and Draymond said, yeah, I, this is, this was getting crazy. All this talk about the referees. And I, one of my referee friends on the West coast said that Scott Foster, and I don't know what, you know, all this Twitter stuff, but said he was the number three guy most tweeted about, or so I don't know what the, he was trending. Was, yes, Dad. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> um, so um, you know, so it's a lot, a lot more talk than what it should have been about referees. And, um, and, and matter of fact, they even rescinded the technical already, which I said immediately that um, uh, Draymond and the guy from uh, uh, Houston got after a foul shot. I said, oh, that was way too quick and unnecessary, and they already rescinded, rescinded the technical foul. Yeah, so um, it was a you know, well-played game. And the game was on the players and the competition in Houston versus Golden State, Durant Harden, uh, not about the referees and Scott Foster, who, who's my man. I ref with Scott. You know, I, 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 Scott's a D.C. guy, and we started out together uh, back in the early middle 80s. And you can see Scott had it going on, that he was up-and-comer, and, comer and uh, he was going to get to the highest level. And then um, – at that point, when we first started. There were two man refs in the NBA. They went to three, and, and you know Scott was golden on the, on the Yellow Brick Road. And I, I'm mm-hmm. happy for success. No, I, you know we would talk today. We ran into each other. So there. Well, thank you for the slight oral history and NBA official team numbers. Um, I my only issue with <laughs> Draymond Green is just a little bit. My only mm-hmm. issue with Draymond Green is he is one that has had his own tete-a-tete and been very vocal about officiating and so it just so happens that you're on the other side in this matchup but don't act like you don't talk about reps when that's convenient and relevant for you that's my only issue I do agree with you know that I don't know because I feel like if I'm James Harden and I'm crafty enough to flail I use air quotes when I use flail but if I'm crafty enough to move my body in a way that draws a foul I'll take a trip to the line now if it doesn't work I do think that you need to understand all right, your little gimmick isn't working and maybe adjust accordingly. But every now and again, if it's working, I mean, what? I did a little bit of acting when I was playing to draw a foul or two. So what are you trying to say? 
I don't think, I think I'm mad at James Harden for flailing. I think if it works, it works. If right. it doesn't, it does. Like, you can't be mad at him. But you know what? See, that is really okay. Okay, you only got two minutes, though, but go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, Harden has a tendency, for example, that last shot, Harden's supposed to be trying to make the shot, not try to draw the foul. So I'm, I'm a bit, why are you, I, why yeah, are that you last going shot. to Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you know what I mean? Make the shot, man. If you get the call, you go, but don't. You know, then flop, then arms are going out. He's looking around and palms up. Come on, ref. So, um, uh, play the game. Um, yeah, and he, and he gets his share of calls. I think he flashes stat. You know, he had 90, he had 95 foul calls on three-pointers. And, this, you know, that's far and uh, this is anybody else in the league. So, he's getting he's getting the calls. Um, you know, you want, to get in, you want to get into one thing. I'll I, I take that even further. It, it bothers me to see him dribble 15 times after you cross half court and end up taking a step back three. Uh, we teach kids. I taught you uh, two dribbles and up. Yeah, that is that is uh, seems teach, very inefficient. Uh, you know, I teach kids. Well, not inefficient because he's getting to play. I mean, he's he's league and scoring at thirty over thirty points. A or game. everybody else is inefficient. Right, right. I taught you. You teach kids. They play one on one. You give them three dribbles. You know, because you're teaching them that you can't just dribble all over the court. You got to be efficient with the ball. You play five on five. Remember, remember, in your AAU coach and I taught taught the guy. You taught you girls how to uh, play five on five with only three passes because yeah. it forced you to move and set screens and go away from the ball. Uh, and then, so then, all you know, kids watch Harden dribble dribble fifteen times, take a step back three. Chris Paul dribble. He's trying to survey the floor and make progress. But he's still driven 13 times, and he needed up 21 seconds on the shot clock. So the kids see that. Whatever I've taught them from November to February is gone because they're watching hard and say, I want to do that. Yeah. So I, you know, so I get it's, into those. There's a whole lot of tendencies you can get into with this thing. It's definitely a little tricky. Young people watch the games with someone who's actually teaching you basketball, and hopefully you'll pick up the right habits. But before we get out of here, Dad, yes. um, and Bruce, our producer, wanted to jump in on this yes. one too. This week yes. we lost a legend – in the yes. game, John Havlicek. Yes. I obviously yes. have no, I'm not going to pump fake. I'm a little too young to remember him on the court, but I know both of you gentlemen have memories. Dad, what do you remember about Havlicek? Perpetual motion, what he called it. I think one of the tributes they said of him. He would come into the game and he would, stay, for the minute he walked in the game, nonstop, move without the ball. They, they, they compliment Curry and all the guys that move without the ball now. He was one of the first. He moved, 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 moved. Defensively, 6'5". He can handle the ball. Uh, he did it all. And he was the ultimate six-man, ultimate team player. He could have been a starter. No, hey, this, we, we have a tradition here. We win. The Celtics were a dominant force. Great, great guy. Uh, and, and a good gentleman. You know, John Havlicek was an eight-time champion. He won them with Russell. Then he was sort of the bridge guy. He won a couple more with Dave Cowens. And kind of then handed the baton to Larry Bird. So they never played together, but he was really the the bridge between the Russell era and the Bird era. But in his own mm-hmm. right, I, I always felt he was the second greatest Celtic ever after Russell, Whoa. after Russell, before Bird, and I had Paul Pierce fourth. And you're absolutely right. He was a wonderful, wonderful man. I met him at the Barcelona yes. Olympics in 1992 and a wonderful family and a huge loss for the game. Yes, yes. Matter of fact, I think it was um, – who, who hosted the thing with Shaq and all those guys? Who's the host of that show? Uh, Ernie Johnson. Uh, yeah, Ernie. I think Ernie said that we should name the six-man award after Ernie him. Ernie Johnson. Yeah, yeah. 
I see he said I think he mentioned they should they should name the six man award after him, the John Havard Six Six Man Award. And I think that'd be the ultimate tribute. Ernie is uh, what a great idea. Truly, yeah. truly is. Yeah, I mean really, because you know, I I, uh, I I grew up I was a teenager when, when he was in in his prime and um uh yeah, man. <laughs> he he would come off and he would say, Uh oh, this is a time you know, because you, you, you didn't like the Celtics a, a lot of times because they were so dominant. But it, it was no drop off when he came in, and he could play. You know, you, you talk about they, they got the term now about uh, uh, playoff five positions or, or, or positions player. He was. He, he absolutely play one, was. two, three, four. You, you know, he wasn't gonna play center, but you know. But and he was he, also he, he, drafted by the Cleveland Browns in the NFL, so he could have been an I NFL player too. Yeah, absolutely. As what? As what? A wide As receiver. receiver. Yeah. No yeah. kid. Yeah. Ohio State kid, right? Absolutely. He grew up yeah. uh, in in Ohio. Well, anyway, thanks for letting me in on your on your conversations, uh, Pops and Monica. I, I, <laughs> All good, it's, buddy. It's, it's, it's like it's like it's like it's like it's like a really fun part of the show that you guys get to to do this thing together. I I always it always brings a smile to my face. <laughs> yeah, okay. it's super that, special. You're my guy, so that makes me happy too. Same here, Pops. What about me, Dad? Oh yeah, well, we all anyway. love you, Monica. You're just so <laughs> yeah, lovable. No, you know, oh, you know, you know got to be the center of attention. You see that, Bruce? Got to be the center of attention. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you, can, you can say that. <laughs> <laughs> enjoy, right, enjoy, pops. folks. Enjoy. Thanks. Bye. Bye, bye. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. That's gonna do it for this week on buckets, boards, and blocks. But let me give you my B, B, and B real quick. My bucket is the response of the Bucks in game two, largely because Paul Pierce had inflammatory things to say. My board is the TNT crew on Tuesday night. Charles, Kenny, Ernie, and Shaq gave us a hilarious, but also kind of awkward moment where Shaq actually was pissed that he got skipped over and didn't get a chance to give his analysis, but then they all ultimately were able to laugh about it. I thought it just showed how even TV people, ex-NBA players can also be sensitive. My block, shout out to you, Paul Pierce. Hyperbole, the series is over. Bro, relax. I also got to thank my team, my producer, Bruce Bernstein, who jumped in today with some great wisdom on John Havlicek, my editor, Ben Wolfen, who I make work entirely too hard. I'm sorry, Ben. Crystal, my guest, and Cameron, my guest. Make sure you check both of them out. Crystal Rich and Cameron Smith on Twitter doing that thing, covering the round ball. Guys, thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. Buckets, Boards and Blocks with Monica McNutt has been a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.